What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, it's the big football Friday show, NFL Week 3 Slate. I'll break down why this is just the stinkiest week imaginable, but why I think that's great news for us as we can zig while others zag. But first, a pat on the back for the Dolphins' money line, a nice little night on the diamond, and how the Blue Jays clinching a playoff berth creates value, baiting them both on Friday and in the playoffs for those of us with a big price on their pennant hopes. Why I'm not hedging our twins and our lightning, and of course, we'll see if there's anything to do in the NBA. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And before we get to the NFL board for Sunday, we got to talk about, you know, we got to do some don't look back in anger. And not a ton to be angry about necessarily last night. Uh, NBA will start there, if only for the fact that there isn't all that much to talk about. I stayed away off the live. You may have noticed that I was silent when it came to that game. Uh, following it the whole way, right, we never had the Lakers really get out to a full like 12 to 15 point lead where I felt comfortable kind of getting double digits with the Nuggets, right? It flashed at nine and a half for what I could tell was sort of the highest that it got to. Uh, and that was just a little bit out of the range of what I was looking for early on in the game. And then in the second half, you know, God bless the point spread makers, right? Because this thing, you know, stays at or around six basically the entire way in that second half. And the only sort of thing I was looking at was grabbing a Nuggets money line as we got to about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And honestly, there was a couple of times where I hit the button. It was just moving so quick that I, was, I wasn't I was able to actually get a bet down because it would move from plus 450 down to plus 320, back up again and back down again. And, you know, my number was very, you know, that I wanted was very similar to game, what was it, two with the Lakers uh, or no, sorry, game three with the Lakers, uh, where I wanted plus 400 or better with the Nuggets being down, you know, four or five points uh, towards the, you know, latter half of this, of the fourth quarter. And so never got there. And so that's fine. You know, whatever, didn't make a play on that. And I guess that, you know, worked out in, uh, you know, for the best. Uh, Nuggets actually, of course, cover the original number, which again was sort of a little bit surprising relative to what kind of what I thought was going to happen because, you know, in part, they just sort of dribbled out at the end. So, uh, you know, if you grabbed Denver, right, like Denver was the only play with regards to the live betting, right? Like there was no real point where you would take the Lakers because they essentially led, you know, wire to wire. So if you did live bet the game, it's kind of hard to imagine that you would have lost at any point unless, of course, you just went the money line like I almost did. Uh, Boston and Miami, uh, you know, talked about it a little bit yesterday. Uh, I'm just riding out this series price. And the one thing that's sort of worth mentioning is I talked about how the series price was put up at plus 400, which was better than rolling over the money lines. And that was over at bet three, six, five. And they have shifted that number down to plus 350. So much closer. I think they realized their mistake. And even now, I still think plus 350 is better than money lining, you know, the uh, the series over and over again. So uh, if you think that Boston can win the next two games, grabbing the plus three fifty or better is still a pretty good 
bet. Because again, we're just all we're trying to do is set ourselves up to have a favored Celtics team in game seven where we can take the points and sort of shoot for a middle in you know, in that series, because we'll have Boston plus 350. And if we could get Miami, you know, plus three and a half, plus four, something along those lines, you know, that's really what our goal is. So don't worry so much about them winning three straight games. Let's look for them to win two straight games. So, uh, you know, again, it's a plus 350 bet here. It's not exactly, you know, something that you should be going absolutely ham about. Uh, but that would be the way that I play this the rest of the way. Because, again, I don't know that there's any value on either team relative to the spread, right? Like, they've, you know, they've made this about Boston minus three essentially the whole way here. And, you know, they haven't done anything to change their opinion of that, right? Even though the Lakers and Nuggets series, they've moved that from seven and a half down to six consistently and you know what I mean so like there's been a change in sort of perception and opinion about what the point spread should be in the market and that just hasn't been the case right if everybody was all over Miami based on the fact that they've won three out of the first four games then that number would come down right money Miami money would push that number back down so that it's essentially a pick em or even you know Miami being favored by one or two points right but that's just not the case the market is still saying that this Boston team is on paper better than Miami and if they could figure out how to play offense against a zone as if they're not college kids um, then, you know, Boston would be in a lot better space here, right? And I think that could be, you know, the adjustments here that we're going to see leading into Friday night, tonight's game. So uh, I still have faith in Boston to sort of get a couple of wins here. It's not going to be easy, but I'd just rather be on the favored side. And, you know, then we get to a game seven where, you know, who knows what could happen. So um, that's essentially the plan as far as, you know, the next game for LA and Denver. I don't know why the plan would be any different from a, a live betting standpoint, right? Uh, again, Denver got them right where they want them, right? Down three to one. Worth mentioning that if you if you don't want, you know, if you've got the FOMO, right? You've got the fear of missing out on another 3-1 comeback. Obviously, this is going to be the toughest one yet. But if you have that and you go, okay, this is, I want to be in. I want to be in on this whole Nuggets thing. Let's just sort of see where this goes. I want to bet it. It, right now, I believe it's 22 to 1 uh, at Bet365 for the Nuggets to come all the way back. The money line, though, is plus 200. And if you parlay the, mo the money line over and over again, three straight times at plus 200, because why would the line change, right? Hasn't changed to this point. It's not going to change even with two Denver wins, right? People are still going to bet the Lakers. Uh, you can parlay that to 27 to 1. So again, in this case, definitely better to just keep parlaying Denver. Again, that's if you believe that they can sort of lightning strike three times here uh, to get not just get this thing to game seven, but get this thing all the way home. Uh, you know, they're certainly competitive in these games, right? Like there's no reason to think that they can't win a game because they have already. So why couldn't they win two games? Why couldn't they win three? You just never know. I would also sort of say as a caveat or as a, you know, just because Anthony Davis sort of went down holding his ankle yesterday, you know, this the reason to sort of take the money line is that, you know, say Denver wins and either LeBron or AD get hurt. That's a really, really big deal. 
if somebody on the Nuggets gets hurt, I mean, I, I suppose you could say if Murray or Jokic, you know, gets hurt, that's the same sort of thing. But, you know, obviously the Nuggets are a little deeper, I think, than the Lakers are. And if one of those two guys goes out, that's a complete series changer. So you you might not be getting that full plus 200 on the money line if you're rolling it over. So that would be the only sort of, quote unquote, insurance that you would be taking with grabbing that series price. But again, that is so far sort of out of the you know realm of like what you'd be thinking of with regards to a handicap in such a short term um, situation here, right? So that story for the NBA. Major League Baseball went three and two on the non-hedge bets yesterday uh, for a good unit and change, uh, a little bit over a unit because we hit all of the underdogs. Um, you know, missed with Oakland, you know, went back to the well with a plus 190. That's fine. The disappointing one really was the Nats not being able to beat the Mets with Corbin on the mound at minus 120. Again, literally the day after I say, why am I betting any favorites in baseball in this last week? I go and I do it again. Um, As for the sort of quasi hedge that we had, the good news is we lost it. And it's funny when you watch a game like that where you're sort of shooting for a middle uh, because again, it wasn't a hedge. And just to sort of refresh, it was a wager on the White Sox to beat the uh, Cleveland team. And that would, of course, have made it a tie atop the AL Central with the Twins. And because the White Sox didn't, now the Twins are up a full game with three to go, including the tiebreaker. So essentially their magic number, as they say, is two, which is any combination of Twins wins and White Sox losses, and that will give the Twins the division, which over the course of six games here, right, like, I'm feeling at least, I'm feeling pretty good that we're going to get some combination of those, you know, six different events in just two instances. So, uh, but you're watching that game and you're going like, yeah, it would be kind of cool to grab, you know, steal a unit here, a unit plus, you know, on this White Sox team, because I still think we'd be in a pretty good spot if we're tied with three games to go, especially the way the schedule breaks down uh, going forward. And they go up four to one, the White Sox do, and the (laughs) Cleveland baseball team uh, goes and scores four runs in what was essentially the bottom of the eighth, I believe, or the seventh, either way, late in the game, uh, and the White Sox sort of yak up another game here, and if I'm not mistaken, they got swept by the Indians, which, again, couldn't have been a better circumstance for us um, there, so that leaves us, again, with three games to go, one game uh, ahead, and that's a really great spot to be, and you sort of go, okay, well, what's the plan now? Are we actually going to put a hedge together? Because at this point, that is kind of what's left. There's, you could today throw a you know another sort of disaster parlay we are favored in both circumstances the white Sox are facing you darvish so they are underdogs and the twins are facing the reds and trevor molly and you know they are the favorite in that game so we would need both underdogs to to win here for it to be a disaster right if one of the underdogs wins uh you know, then at least that means that we've still got, our magic number is down to one. And of course, if both favorites win, that's it. The bet's been won and we don't even have to sweat Saturday or Sunday. And to me, that's, there's, you know, enough of an incentive there that I might as well just let this ride tonight, hope both favorites win, and I don't have to even pay attention to baseball on Saturday and Sunday with, you know, college football being ramped up here with the SEC getting in the mix and, of course, NFL Sunday. That's such an ideal circumstance for me. 
uh, there's just no reason for me to hedge, right? And so I've adjusted my profit based on the fact that I lost the hedge middle attempt yesterday so that, you know, if this comes down to a Sunday situation and, you know, I'd like to think between today and tomorrow, I, we're going to get one uh, result where, you know, either the Twins win or the White Sox lose. Like if the Twins lose both games and the White Sox win both games, like that's a drag. Um, but I'd like to think we can get one and I'm certainly willing to take my chances with two favorites tonight in that department. Um, as for the rest of baseball, uh, you know, one of the wins that we got yesterday was the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays clinch uh, the eighth and final playoff spot. And barring some sort of incredible you know, sweep from the Rays and sweep from the Twins, it's going to be a Rays-Jays first round. And you're saying, like, why is that relevant? Well, if you were involved back in, you know, late July and were on, you know, uh, involved listening to the Major League Baseball preview show, I talked about how there was a rogue 55-1 to for the Blue Jays to win the AL. And again, that's not a bet made because I think they're going to win the AL or that they're even going to come close to winning the AL, that's a bet made that I think they can make the playoffs. And that was even before, literally hours before, they shifted the playoff system around and are inviting half the town into the playoffs. And of course, you know, what team benefited more from that than the Blue Jays, right? Would have had no shot at a wild card. I mean, at least they were sort of in the hunt a couple of weeks ago. But once it came down to the final week, right, the, their only option was um, getting this sort of double wild card, you know, third place type of situation here. And so, but now they're in. And I don't know about you, but I don't believe they have any chance of winning the AL. So right now I've got 55 to one, but that leaves me a ton of wiggle room when with regards to hedging. And so I would introduce to you the mega hedge, which is I'm not just hedging a bet that I've made. And you know, obviously we know by now hedging a bet that you've made is taking less of a potential profit in order to lock in some profit. In this case, because I think there's so little chance of the Blue Jays winning the AL, I'm going to be hedging over the top so that I will actually end up losing money if the Blue Jays win the AL which I am completely comfortable with that as a premise, right? It's essentially taking that plus 5,500, that 55 to one, the plus 5,500, and taking that money that I would win and spreading it around on other teams to win the AL. And there are, you know, of course, one, we have to see sort of how the seating shakes down, but there's a ton of teams that could potentially win it, right? We're looking at a Houston team that's going to be like a five or a six. There's sort of this weird battle on who doesn't want to face the Yankees, right? And you have, you know, the funny thing about the AL Central battle is that the loser of this battle drops down into that four five game with the Yankees right now. And so uh, <laughs> you go, well, okay, do you really want that? Like, is that worth sort of the effort going forward here as that second place team, right? Whereas Houston is second in the AL West and they're pretty much locked in here, again, barring some sort of craziness at the end here. And I don't even know if that's even really the case, but they're pretty much locked into the sixth seed. And so, you know, they're going to be facing the third best team 
in that. And so we're looking at a potential A's-Astros matchup there. And so, you know, when I'm talking like 1-4, or excuse me, 1-8 and 4-5, where it's Rays, Yankees, and then whoever ends up sort of coming in second here in the AL Central, that's the side that I have to kind of worry about with regards to, you know, hedging off this Blue Jays bet. And so what I'm going to do is the first thing I'm going to do is look to the Rays, right? The Rays are the team that the Blue Jays play, and they're going to be heavy favorites in the series. So there's not going to be all that much for me there to bet against them in, you know, against the Blue Jays in the series. If I was to start mega hedging this, I would do it with the Rays AL futures price, which is currently in the, you know, plus threes, right? I'm seeing anywhere from like plus 310 to 320, that kind of thing. And so I could start there with that hedge. And I'll sort of talk about that on Monday on what I, you know, decide to do. But it's also going to kind of depend on what ends up happening over in that four or five matchup. And whether I think, right, I think the Yankees are a bad matchup for the Blue Jays, right? I think that that kind of goes without saying, given sort of some of their recent results. Uh, The last couple of days, notwithstanding, of course, the Blue Jays have actually done pretty well against the Yankees. But, you know, this has been a Yankees roster that's, you know, sort of phoned it in for the rest of the way. Uh, So I don't think all that much of that uh, at this point. But if, you know, it ends up being Yankees twins and, you know, that's a series that, you know, the Yankees have owned the twins over the years. But what if it's, you know, Yankees White Sox, right, which is sort of our best case scenario. I think the White Sox have a very good chance against the Yankees in what should be just an absolute like bomb festival uh, at Yankee Stadium. And so there's like so many moving parts on that in that 4-5 game. I'm going to just sort of wait and see how this goes. The other element is that it's a three-game series. And as much as I don't think the Blue Jays are going to win the AL in its entirety, any team can win two out of three. Right? All it takes is one ace, one top-line starter for, in this case, the Rays, to not have a great game or, you know, have a pitching duel with Hunjin Ryu and, you know, I believe it'd be Snell going for Tampa. You know, what if that game's tied, you know, 1-1 in the eighth inning and we get into bullpens? Now, listen, the Blue Jays bullpen isn't anything to write home about, but all you need is one hit, one home run, and that series completely flips on its side, right? And then you get into the second and third starters, which, of course, with the Rays are still very good. But again, anything can happen in a three-game series. So because, you know, at a 55-to-1 investment, like, it's not like it was a huge uh, bet in the first place. It's might It might just be worth letting it go and see if lightning can strike with that first series and then sort of pick it up what, you, you know, where you think that, you know, the hedges need to come in there for round two and round three. Uh, and so that's an option too. So, you know, the only thing relevant there is, you know, if you haven't bet on that is sort of the idea that if you're, you know, you, you, you make this bet before the season starts, the season doesn't really go as well as you think it might, but you still are alive in, you know, in an, and have an ability to hedge. The idea that you can come over the top and sort of discard your original bet in its entirety and try to make a unit or two off of that is certainly in play. And that's what we're talking about here, right? And you might have a completely different one, um, either in baseball or somewhere else down the line, right? Whether it's football season coming up, you know, to the playoffs or anything like that. So that's just kind of worth talking about there. The other thing that's worth talking about with regards to the Blue Jays and the fact that they clinched yesterday was I think they probably had a nice little celebration. 
last night. And they were out on the field for a while, kind of doing the waving to the grounds crew and taking pictures and all of that. And, you know, I don't know this for a fact necessarily, but I think they probably had a couple of casual beverages too after the game. And, you know, sometimes this works out and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes this type of thing is built into the line the next day, and sometimes it's not. But all I know right now is Baltimore's plus 160 against a Blue Jays team that has clinched everything that they need to clinch. And by the way, it's not like Baltimore's all that bad. So Baltimore plus 160 is definitely a play for me today. Uh, I'm also going to make Seattle plus 182 a play later on tonight. Again, these are obviously big underdogs here. We'd be thrilled with grabbing one out of the two. But again, Seattle going up against the uh, Oakland A's here. And again, the Oakland A's, not all that much to play for here. Uh, Got the division. Does it matter whether they're the two seed or the three seed? Do you really want to deal if you're the two seed with, you know, a AL Central team that, you know, is the out on the outside looking in as far as, you know, being in third place right now? That looks like it'd be the Indians. Do you really want to deal with, excuse me, the Cleveland baseball team? Uh, you know, it's like that's not really a matchup that I think you want to deal with when it comes to the starting pitching that Cleveland can kind of roll your way. And so... Uh, being the two seed really doesn't do anything for Oakland. Now, the three seed means you're going up against Houston, which at least you have familiarity with and some success with this season. And you know that right now there's some holes in that Houston Astros lineup. So for me, if I'm the A's, I am megaphoning in this last weekend. And while Seattle, of course, is knocked out and maybe they just sort of pack it in as well, I still like Kikuchi in general. As you know, again, especially as an underdog here, and I've got them plus 182 right now on at Pinnacle. So, two big underdogs again, you know, staying away from kind of these coin flip games, these sort of moderate favorites. The only two favorites that I like here, and we're going to throw them together in our, you know, our old fashioned favorite money line parlay, which has, you know, been the most successful thing we've done here short of this division parlay is I like Atlanta and Houston. These are both teams that are, of course, still gearing up for the playoffs. They're, you know, not necessarily competing for any sort of positioning that's all that important, but they're facing teams that I think have, you know, packed it in for the season. And uh, the Red Sox here, right, obviously a disappointing season if, you know, you are one of the Red Sox. Uh, It's a great season if you're anybody else who could see this coming from a mile away. And, you know, now you're going down to Atlanta. It's not even a home game, not even that you'd have necessarily fans, but like this is very much a trip that you don't want to be making. Um, Hopefully they can stay out of the strip club and we don't have a COVID issue stemming from Atlanta like we did at the start of the season. How poetic would that be if we sort of bookended it with Atlanta strip club COVID situations? And then Houston at Texas, you know, a team that also, uh, you know, has essentially packed it in this season. So I'm grabbing those two favorites, putting them together at plus 154. So we'll see how it goes. And I don't know that we'll have anything else for the rest of the, you know, Saturday and Sunday here for reasons that I mentioned before, because obviously going to be focused on some other stuff. Uh, But You know, we'll see how that goes. We're up a little bit on the season when it comes to game to game here. Uh, Not exactly killing it necessarily, being about, you know, about three and a half units uh, on the season from a game to game standpoint. Obviously, that will increase once, hopefully, Minnesota 
you know, finishes it up in uh, in the AL Central. Uh, quick mention of the NHL. Again, no play, riding out the series. You guys kind of know the deal by now. Just as a refresher, probably should mention again, if you're sort of hopping in uh, in the last week or so, uh, my numbers came out to uh, from a game-to-game basis, Tampa Bay minus 144, Dallas plus 144. Uh, if I was a sports book, right, I would take the, I would put the juice on the favorite and I would make it minus 165 and plus 145, essentially. And that's basically what the line is in this one. It was That was essentially what the line was in game one. Uh, we saw after Dallas won, the line dropped to minus, I got it at minus 139. But remember, I said anything un- under, you know, minus 150 essentially and that's why uh because i thought that was fair value on the lightning well it's you know after they won it moved up right the stamkos comes back it moves up even a little bit higher to minus 160 now they're in the driver's seat and it's up in the minus 160s again so again no value for me and nothing really in the first three games has sort of changed that you know if dallas wins tonight then I'll look back and I'll see sort of how the numbers shake out and whether that changes anything now that four games in the series will have been uh, played. But again, unfortunately, it's not like we've got some exciting thing where it's like keep pounding the underdog or keep you know going with the favorite. Uh, we're just riding out the series price when it comes to the NHL. Uh, college football last night, mer, loser, you know, not great. Uh, again, not a ton lost necessarily there. A small bet we talked about in that one. Small bet tonight, just essentially a fade of Middle Tennessee until we see Middle Tennessee not get absolutely blown out. We're just betting against them. I don't care how high the numbers, you know, influenced how high it's been uh, inflated, if you will. Uh, we're rolling with minus six and a half and on, and with a team that frankly isn't all that great, but they're not as bad as Middle Tennessee. Anyway, now for the good stuff, the NFL. Obviously, you know, we're going to get to the slate here, but we do have to do some padding of ourselves on the back here, right? Talked about yesterday how I didn't really understand the line, you know, didn't really make any sense. It was a massive overreaction to a team that, again, we had liked relative to what their position was in the market going into the season, right? Jaguars, big underdogs to the Colts, big underdogs to the Titans. And that just didn't make any sense to me back then. And so, you know, obviously we cashed both those tickets early on on the Jags. But there is a difference between being 10-point underdogs or 8-point underdogs and being 3-point favorites especially when we're talking about all these teams that are kind of in, you know, as much as people want to say Tennessee's kind of on the come up or the Colts are going to be good this year. These teams are all still in that middle part of the league, right? Positions five through 28, right, are all kind of jumbled up all together. Uh, and it's that t- type of thing that you see when, the you know, the Raiders beat the Saints or some of these other upsets that have happened, right? Washington and Philly, that kind of thing. And so why you would favor the Jags in a situation where they had no home field advantage of any kind, right? No travel discrepancy, no, you know, anything really when it comes to the Jags home field. And so that line didn't make any sense. So we hit the plus three, but I've talked about how from a betting standpoint, 
there was just a lot more value on the money line at plus 140. And that was certainly, I think it got as high as plus 145. And then you start to see the line crash as we get closer to game time and you feel better and better and better, right? Plus three was, you know, at minus 125. And the money line was falling down to plus 120, 125. And, you know, at that point, you sort of know you're onto something. And then the key thing when you absolutely know that you're onto something is when you flip over to the game five minutes before it starts and you see the in-studio host, or in this case, the in-Zoom host, Posts, all picking the Jaguars. And I tweeted out last night, September, what, September 10th, right? Jags, everybody thinks the Jags are, you know, phoning in the season, they're tanking, you know, tanking for Trevor, all of that kind of thing. And and then literally two weeks later, it's a unanimous sweep across the board that the Jags are going to win a game. And it's like, who, if you didn't know, right, who they were playing on Thursday night. And I just showed you that on, you know, two weeks before, you'd have been like, who are they playing? Like what junior college outfit is now, you know, what happened with COVID that were, you know, junior college teams are now playing uh, in, in the NFL? Like the idea that it was a unanimous, like Jags for sure, like Gardner Minshew and the mustache, like give me a break with the facial hair stuff. And the idea that it was like a sweep across the board for the Jags, it was like, like I should have just immediately gone and bet with my, I mean, hindsight 2020, my entire account on the damn thing. Um, and so, yeah, like nice way to start the week. Nice that sort of a handicap going in works out. And, you know, it, it translates not just onto the field, but onto the scoreboard, unlike it did the previous week uh, with Cincinnati and Cleveland. So um, all in all, great night, right? MLB stuff avoided kind of any sort of disaster. Maybe you grab Denver plus nine and a half, eight and a half, something along those lines. That'd be awesome as well. Um, like I said, baseball, everything kind of works out as best as it could from that standpoint. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're just going to plow through the NFL Sunday board here, setting things up for the Sunday podcast and all of that right after this. Let's take this quick break to talk about our friends over at Hundo P Productions. Are you struggling to grow your following or build your brand? Posting simple pictures or inspirational quotes or amateur selfie videos don't really do the trick anymore. Neil over at Hundo P Productions hooked me up with a couple of really fun videos for my podcast with Chad Millman from about a month, a month and a half ago. So contact Hundo P Productions to help boost your brand and get to the next level of video marketing. He does a great job over there. Reach them at www.hundopproductions.com or at Hundo P Prod on Instagram. Don't just post, inspire. All right, NFL week three, let's get right into it. And first and foremost, you need to know that you're not going to like what you hear. And what I mean by that is, listen, I went on my good friend Sheldon Alexander's podcast, right? We do the Thursday podcast over there on Blast Podcast Network. Go check it out. Um, he does great work over there in general, but we have a real fun time on Thursdays talking about sort of, you know, him from a public standpoint where he thinks he's going to be betting. And then he sort of runs that by me. And, you know, he kind of can obviously make his decisions uh, after that based on, you know, how, how, how convincing I was necessarily or sort of where he was on the fence with regards to each game. And so, 
I went on to his show and I said to him, I was like, listen, I wanted to do a bit because this thing's on YouTube as well. Uh, I wanted to do a bit that had me just sitting for the first couple of minutes with a uh, clothespin on my nose because these plays this weekend are going to be stinky. The stinkiest. We've got a new bucket out there. You've heard of the teaser bucket. You've heard of the money line bucket. This is the stinky fish bucket that we are throwing some of these bets into. It's week three, which means after two weeks, we have, of course, opinions of these teams based on two games, which like in any other sport would be complete nonsense, right? Hockey, basketball, baseball, anything. If you're making, you know, sort of wild judgments on a sports team after two games like you're kind of an idiot right but in the nfl because so much time gets built up and so much coverage of it gets built up that we all just kind of assume that we know these teams now right and so you know that's fine but when you start when you add a price to something right when you start assigning a value to something then it ceases to become this sort of black and white thing right it becomes a value assessment and so once these two series, these two, excuse me, these two weeks go by and you're like, okay, like this team's awful and this team stinks. And listen, I've got that opinion too, but like we're all kind of thinking the same thing by, by and large about all of these teams, right? And we can go through sort of what the general opinion is, but the reality is it's only been two games. And so we do have to pump the brakes to a degree, right? And it's because there was eight months between games that... You know, we think we know these teams and now whether it's sort of a confirmation of what we thought we knew or this sort of the opposite, right, which can be pretty dramatic looking the other way where you go, oh, I had no idea this team was going to be this bad. Like and this team cost me money in week one and or week two. And so you get these opinions that are really, really strong and that affects the market. And so what is really happening with these actual teams is and we saw it Thursday night with the Dolphins where they go, man, we are 0-2. Like, if we go 0-3, the season's done. Like, you are not coming back from that. I mean, maybe with the extra wild card this year, you can sort of talk yourself into the fact that there's seven teams, you know, that make the playoffs in your conference. And you go, okay, yeah, we could come back from that. But, like, you are as focused as you're ever going to be if you are 0-2. Now, some of these teams just aren't good enough to have that matter. But when you're 0-2, you're also getting more points in the market, right? Your number is going to be inflated, you know, in your favor, or at least in the better's favor, right? In the favor of the team that's, you know, doing well, right? That doesn't do them any good to be favored by six when they should be favored by four and all of that kind of thing. So uh, a lot of these are going to stink. They're going to stink. Some of the favorites are going to stink. Some of the underdogs are going to stink. It's just going to be a real stink fest here. And honestly, if you look at sort of, you know, and I hate to say the word trend because that can kind of be a, you know, hot button word. But if you look at sort of how this usually goes in week three, it's often a bloodbath because we've, you know, think about it. We've had for week one, we've had these lines built up for four months and, you know, the market sort of really gets super tight, but it's kind of based on nothing. And then we sort of see what happens from there. And from a value standpoint, you don't really see much value in week one unless you're grabbing stuff back in May. Week two, we get sort of the, oh, everybody's going to overreact, et cetera, et cetera. But like, if everybody knows we're overreacting, are we really overreacting? Think about it. Um, 
But for week three, it's like, oh, we're not overreacting anymore. We're actually reacting. When in reality, we are probably still overreacting, if that makes any sense. So let's get right into it, right? First game up, Bears and Falcons. And listen, I'm not psyched up to be betting this game. Uh, that being said, right, you have to look at it. You're like, who, who, who am I supposed to bet on? You're supposed to bet on the Atlanta Falcons, right? Because they're the 0-2 team going against the 2-0 team. They're the team that needs it. They're going back home. We're getting a relatively short number, minus three, minus three and a half. Um, obviously, that number was, you know, higher. It was four. And then we've got this, you know, Julio Jones injury that's sort of looming. And I believe that's what's dipped it down to three. And 72% of the tickets out there are on the Falcons. And so you go, okay, so everybody's kind of thinking the same way here. This isn't sort of the traditional 2-0, and you know, being the underdog to the 0-2 team thing because everybody's sort of sniffed it out in a way. And so there's a lot of things that sort of conflict here that would have me leaning to the Bears, and I certainly am. Uh, but I'm going to need four. I'm going to need four points here. That being said, from a money line standpoint, it's certainly within the realm of possibility that the Bears win, and I would include them in the potential money line parlay bucket here. Uh, again, if we could get a bit of a better number than sort of the plus 155 that's available right now, like obviously that would be ideal, but you know anything at around 160 I think is worth a shot here because again, this Falcons team, I don't have to tell you, you know, what we think about this Falcons team and specifically the coaching. And again, if Julio Jones is out, right, that shifts coverage over to Calvin Ridley. And, you know, we love Calvin Ridley because we like that he's getting single coverage because the coverage is focused on Julio Jones, right? But if that's no longer the case, that completely changes the offense. And that then creates, you know, if you're saying, how do the Bears keep up with the Falcons? First of all, my answer would be like, Maybe they're pretty good on defense, the Bears. Two, the Falcons aren't good on defense. And so that's how the Bears would sort of keep up. And maybe that's more of a you know ball control thing. The Bears run game is actually pretty good. And again, from a defensive standpoint, you're going to have a lot more success against the Falcons without Julio Jones. So that's a thing that we need to sort of monitor here. If he's out, how much does that really drop the line, right? Like we've seen the line move from sort of four to three based on that sort of, I think anyway, um, what's going on there. But is that really going to drop below three if Julio Jones is out? I don't see that necessarily happening. So I think this is one where we can kind of wait and see what we get from that Jones injury report. And, you know, it's not like the Bears are going to be favored all of a sudden once that gets announced. But if he is in fact announced out, I still like the Bears really at anything getting any amount of points, uh, but certainly plus three would be out, you know outstanding. And if you sort of you know have any sort of inclination about the Jones injury and want to grab plus three, plus three and a half right now, I would say go ahead and do it. I've already locked in the Bears on the money line uh, as part of money line parlay. Uh, next up, the Bengals and the Eagles, and man. People love the Cincinnati Bengals, don't they? Holy cow. 53% of tickets, so not exactly an overwhelming amount, but when you factor in that, you know, kind of the standard operating procedure is about 70% of tickets are usually sort of, you know, put any two teams together, call one a favorite, and around 66 to 70% of tickets are going to be on the favorite, right? That's just how people bet. And that's even including the point spread. I'm not even talking money line. I'm saying just the point spread. People look at that and they go, oh, you know, four points. Like, they can totally win that. 
in this case, so many people like the Bengals more than the Eagles, and I get that. Eagles 0-2, uh, you know, Bengals are 0-2 as well, so it's not like there's an 0-2 versus 0-2 angle, except for the fact that one of these 0-2s had some expectations this season. One of these 0-2s, in the look-ahead line before the season started, was 10.5, 11.5 point favorites over the other one. And now the adjustment has been brought all the way down to 4.5, and... and you know, what did we really learn here, right? We, it was a bad second half for the Eagles when they, you know, their O-line got dominated. Are the Bengals going to provide that same level of pressure that Aaron Donald did in the second game and that crew? Uh, are the Bengals going to provide the same pressure that the Washington football team's defensive line did? So to me, you know, I feel like the Eagles are going to have a much better day offensively. And Lord knows they should be focused and have had that quote-unquote good week of practice. And you've got people sort of selling Carson Wentz right now. And I don't think that Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz probably not as great as he was when he was, you know, when he got hurt that season that he was a flat-out MVP candidate in. But he's not as bad as what we've sort of seen here in this first couple of games, right? He certainly wasn't considered bad at halftime in game one. So not only are we, you know, overreacting to two games, frankly, we're overreacting to a game and a half, which sounds even crazier. On the flip side, congrats to the Bengals for sort of pushing or covering, depending on what number you got against the Chargers, and congrats to them for the epic backdoor against the Browns. But the reality is in both games they were not they were not efficient in any way shape or form offensively and they were just flat out terrible defensively. And so we've what we've got here is sort of a delayed, you know, prime time reaction here to the Bengals looking I, I mean I guess people are somehow impressed with the Bengals because of that backdoor, like backdoor Joe Burrow. It's like, okay, I mean, sick, but like, I rather be up 10 with five minutes to go than, you know, not. And so I think this is just a spot where the Eagles can get right. I realize there are still some injury issues with the Eagles, right? Uh, Fletcher Cox out, but like, you know, and I haven't, you know, again, this is Friday. And so the, the reason we do the Sunday podcast is because, you know, Friday morning, we don't have the injury report, right? And that can be critical for certain specific injuries, right? We just talked about with Julio Jones. Maybe he gets ruled out today. I don't even really know, right? Is Geno Atkins back for the Bengals? Like, I don't really know what's going to go on there. And so, you know, yeah, the Eagles have some injury issues. You know, Jalen Rieger is out. But, like, is that really going to affect the number? Should that affect the number? For me, minus four and a half with the Eagles is definitely a play, barring some significant injury information that pops up in the next two. And that's one that's certainly going to be in the mix, potentially, for a contest play for me. I just think that this is a massive overreaction. People are somehow fooled into thinking that the Bengals are better than they are. And again, if we were talking, you know, this is very similar to the Jags, right? If we were talking about 10.8 point, you know, underdogs here, that's a way bigger conversation than, you know, being under, you know, a one score type of a game, right? Anything under six here to me is, you know, 
I, I don't want to say a gift because we, you know, we'll we'll get that shoved down our throat if the Cincinnati uh, comes back and pulls off either a backdoor cover or the win outright. But I just don't think the Eagles are bad just yet. Uh, they looked it against a Rams team that might be really good, and you know, obviously a rough second half against Washington. So focus spot here for the Eagles if that coaching staff is worth anything. Which again, it's a Super Bowl winning coaching staff. I'd like to think that they know what they're doing from an organizational standpoint. Uh, if they know what they're doing in, in any way, shape, or form, I think that's a win and a relatively comfortable one for the Eagles. Uh, Houston at Pittsburgh, really interesting one. If you caught the podcast on Monday, talked about how Pittsburgh opened six-point favorites here, and I really like the idea of the Texans getting that many points. And, of course, so did the market because literally by the time I think I hit publish, Houston was down to four-and-a-half and then subsequently four, and even I think made a cameo appearance as three-and-a-half-point underdog. And so it's starting to tick up a little bit more, which is kind of what you'd expect based on, listen, if Sharp Money came in and started hitting Houston as an underdog and the rest of the week public money is starting to you know pile up on Pittsburgh looking at Houston and being like those that team stinks. And it's again, like we've talked about this before. Does Houston stink or did they just play the two best teams in the league week one and week two? And listen, if they lose again this week and they don't cover, I'm going to come back next week and be like, does Houston stink? Or did they just play the two best teams in the league and then have to go to a pretty good Pittsburgh team on the road, right? So like, it's all just going to kind of self-fulfill in the end. But for me here, if it's, you know, once this gets to four and a half, like, I'm going to wait for it to go to four and a half. Let's put it that way. And, you know, once it does, I'll bet that. Uh, do I think it's going to get back to the six that it was earlier in the week? No, I don't. The betting percentages look to me like it's, you know, there isn't necessarily people just throwing money at Pittsburgh here in this spot. Um, but I think that uh, Houston and Watson are certainly live, potentially, uh, to win this game outright. Um, whether I'm going to sort of throw them in the old... Uh, money line bucket is, you know, he remains to be seen because frankly, there's a lot that I like with regards to decently sized underdogs. Uh, Bills and the Rams here. This is an interesting one. Talked at, at pretty fair length with Sheldon on his podcast about it on Thursday. And listen, the Rams, unlike the 49ers who we'll get to, the Rams have flown cross country all the way home and then going all the way back to the East Coast. Uh, you know, if you call Buffalo the East Coast, um, it, already this week. They didn't stay out West the way that San Francisco did, um, just hopping over to West Virginia to do, you know, sort of a mini camp type thing there. And again, this is a Rams team, like, congrats on the win last week, but it's still a team that I don't love on the road. And right now, the Bills are a better football team than Philadelphia is. And so does the one game change my outlook on a Rams team that is two-point underdogs going on the road, right? There were two-point underdogs going on the road last week to Philly. That didn't work out for, you know, fading them. But it's because I don't think Philly's play, you know, played a very good game last week. Do I think the Bills play a good game this week? I do. Now, I'm watching this line, and it, you know, I understand why people were grabbing the three, right? Plus three is a very attractive number on a Rams team that's looked pretty good this season. So I get that, and I get why that's come off of three and down to two and a half. Now, for you know, reasons that escape me, it's starting to drift 
down to two and minus one with some juice. And the money line here is what interests me more than anything else. If we can get a money line, and right now it's minus 125, so I think this is very possible. If we can get a money line with the bills at minus 120 or better, I would just bet the money line here and sort of take out any of the elements that you know you might be worried about with regards to like missed kicks and all of that kind of stuff because I don't particularly trust the Bills kicker right now. We saw him miss kicks against the Jets in week one and we saw the Rams kicker doinking things in week one as well. And so once you get into, you know, again, it's going to be pretty nice in Buffalo, so it's not like there's a weather issue. Uh, but Buffalo is a team that's done pretty well from a sack rate, uh, a, a pass rush win rate this season. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to get the Jared Goff under pressure version of, of, of him. And I like the Bills in this one. And I understand why people like the Rams from, you know, just sort of a, why the line is moving and all of that kind of stuff. That's totally fair. You know, 60% of tickets on the Rams. Uh, again, all of that makes sense, but I just like the bills here. Um, from a contest standpoint, the line is two and a half um, because I'm going. I feel like I'm going to be able to get a decent number on the money line with the bills. Uh, that's what's you know going to keep me away from the bills in the contest. And again, because I love the board this week and a lot of the different stuff that's going on with the board this week. Uh, along those same lines, Patriots and the Raiders, and another one that I got in deep with Sheldon uh, on Thursday uh, on his show. Um, but this one's not all that complicated, right? And he sort of pegged it, and maybe it's a little too obvious when, you know, we sort of figure all of this stuff out. But the Raiders weren't nearly as good as the score indicated on Monday. And they got the win, which is great for them, right? John Gruden's running across the field, doesn't even care about his mask. And, you know, they get the win as big underdogs. So now you go, okay, like, you know, this team, you know, might be decent. They're 2-0, and blah, 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 right? Meanwhile, you've got homeless Bill who has been just crunching the tape, right? Sitting at home, they watch the game Monday, they know how to stop this Raiders offense, right? The Patriots are going to shut down this Raiders offense. Uh, and the Raiders are have next to no time to sort of prepare for a Patriots offense that we've now seen isn't just, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust, the way it sort of seemed like it was against Miami. You've got Newton, he's slinging it around 300 plus yards against Seattle, right? This is an offense that I think can do both. And so when you sort of combine those two things and the fact that I think we're getting a ton of value here at minus five, minus five and a half, talked about it earlier in the week, right? Grabbing that number, anything under six is really good. Uh, anything under seven is probably pretty good as well, but that's not, I don't think that's going to be an issue for us. The bad news is from a contest standpoint, contest line at minus six and a half is again, like the Bills game, going to sort of keep us off of that, um, you know, because there's just better stuff, I think, out there this week, especially when it comes to sort of contest um, competition type of stuff. Uh, San Francisco and the Giants, uh, we've seen the number tick down from four and a half down to three and a half, and that is the market telling you, listen, we get it, the Giants aren't very good, the 49ers just won, and relatively handily against the Jets, but listen, if you took the 49ers jerseys off, and you put I don't know, the Jags jerseys on them, the Jets jerseys on them, whatever jerseys you want, right? Like, they're not going to be as bad as those teams, but they are going to be less attractive 
in the marketplace, right? And the fact that they're still getting 57% of the bet tickets, despite the fact that half the team looks to be out here for San Francisco. And like the case can be made, I suppose, for Mullins, the backup quarterback, because we actually saw him, I believe it was, in a Monday night game against, it might have been a Thursday night game, but against the Giants a few years ago, and he looked pretty good. And we were all sort of surprised to see how good he looked. But that team still finished, like, second to last in the entire league. That's how they got Nick Bosa, who, by the way, is injured this week, along with, again, the entire, basically the entire defensive line from last season is no longer playing this season, right? Whether it's DeForest Buckner, who of course was traded, or some of the other, you know, D, the D Fords of the world, Solomon Thomas, Bosa, all of those guys are gone, right? No Richard Sherman. And so, you know, on the surface, you might say, well, like the Giants are without Saquon Barkley. But were the Giants doing anything with Saquon Barkley? Like, again, and this, you know, you can go on, it doesn't take you long to go onto Twitter and find out, you know, find the arguments about whether investing in a running back is worth it i'm of the opinion it's not right and as good as saquon barkley might be you know obviously drafting him what second overall was an atrocious decision from a team building standpoint so if that's the case if we already think that he can be replaced you know listen he had what 15 yards on monday night in that first week if he can be replaced then why would this line need to be any higher than four and a half. And of course the market has come in and said, it doesn't, it, it, it can be three and a half. And there are some rogue fours out there. So I would grab those fours while you can get them. Uh, maybe it goes up on Sunday when people come in and start hitting San Francisco, but I don't necessarily see that being the case here. And I think the Giants are very live as part of a money line underdog. And you see what I'm saying? It's getting stinky. The stinkier, the better. And how stinky is this one? Are you ready? And this is my sort of sucker bet of the week, right? We do that with Sheldon on the On Blast podcast. And he always asks me, like, what's the game that everybody's going to have on their parlay that is going to screw everyone's parlay? And even in the most sort of chalky week, what's going to wipe out a ton of tickets for the sports books, for the Ontario Lottery Gaming Corporation, for all of the above, right? And to me, it stinks right now of that being the Titans and the Vikings. I'll tell you right now, I think the Vikings stink. I fully you know, admit that. I will say that day of. I will say that probably after this game, kind of no matter what happens here. But this is one where the world is on the Tennessee Titans. And it's going to drive the number up to three. So it's not like I can sit here and say, like, why is this still just two and a half? But in part... You know, why is this still just two and a half? Like, why isn't this three and a half for the way people talk about the Vikings? And the answer is the Vikings are probably going to win this game. And you're going, what? The Titans are good. They're, you know, two and oh, like, blah, blah, blah. And let's look at this a little bit deeper here, though, right? The Titans were out yards per played against Jacksonville last week and had, what, 31, 28, whatever it was, points put on them by Jacksonville. We just saw Jacksonville score seven against the Dolphins last night at home. What is that, you know, are we supposed to be impressed with the Titans winning that game, getting out yards per played by the Jags? Again, like I hate slandering the Jags as somebody who's been like, Jags aren't that bad because the Jags aren't that bad. But that's pretty bad if you are an alleged playoff team, an alleged AFC contender, right? 
we watched the Denver game on Monday night, or at least if you stayed up, you watched that game. And it's easy to sort of blame the kicker for that game not being, uh, you know, a decisive Titans win. Blame the kicker for them not covering that game. But, like, the kicker issues are still potentially there, by the way. And even though Goskowski was decent last week and kicked yet another game winner, and maybe he kicks another game winner here, and, you know, who knows. But on the flip side, you've got a Vikings team that I get, that I get it. Like, the defense is awful. Awful. But they were able to sort of bow up a little bit when the Colts got to the red zone last week. And if you just looked at that score and you saw that the Colts scored 28 points, it looks like they scored four touchdowns against the Vikings. They didn't. They got a safety, right? And then the other 26 points were built essentially off of field goals and two touchdowns, right? Four field goals, two touchdowns. And so for me, yeah, the Vikings defense is pretty bad. But the Titans' defense is just as bad, potentially. And so I like this game as a sneaky over. I think 50, po- 50 points of a, as a line uh, is maybe higher than you might have thought if you had sort of guessed this. But it's because I think the market realizes that these defenses aren't very good. And then so you go, well, what's the story with the offenses? And to me, the offenses are pretty damn similar as well right? You've got quarterbacks that depend heavily on a run game being effective in order to throw the ball. And that hasn't been necessarily the case for the Vikings. They actually ran the ball okay, but they got so far behind against the uh, Packers that they kind of had to abandon that, right? And even then with abandoning the run, they still were at a 7.5, I believe it was, yards per play, which is quite good, actually. And I realized that, you know, part of my handicap last week in taking the Colts was that the Vikings, you know, numbers were inflated by sort of having to come back. And that's still, of course, the case, but it still means that they're capable of doing it, especially against a defense that is pretty banged up as well, right? And we talk about teams like Detroit having a banged up defense. You know, listen, at this point in the season, everybody's banged up, it seems, right? If you're clean on the on the injury front, it's a modern miracle, right? And so I think this thing's a shootout. Uh, I think that the Vikings are going to score a ton of points. I think the Titans are probably going to score a ton of points. I just think that there's a reason that this line is what it is, and it's not higher. And listen, the market loved the Vikings last week, and that's why we like the Colts, right? We got them at minus three in a game that should have been closer to a touchdown, in my opinion. And so, they, you know, again, is it one game that changes everything from the market's opinion? Right? The Vikings were still favored in the first game against the Packers. They were still just three-point underdogs on the road. And now all of a sudden it's going to swing all the way over to the Titans being favored. I mean, I get it. I think the Vikings stink. I think that they're headed for a 5-11, and 4-12 type season. I just think this might be one of the wins, right? Not every 4-12 and season is, well, we got to win against the Jets. We got to win against the Jaguars. We got to win against the Bengals. Some of those four or five win seasons are, yeah, we actually beat a pretty good team somewhere down the line. And usually it's at home. And I just think that's one of these cases right here. So this is the mother of the hold your nose and go situation, but we're going to wait for three because I think we get that. I think we get a flat, even potentially even money plus three on the Vikings, but at two and a half, I like it too, because I think the Vikings win outright. And it's, I don't, again, it's one of those where it's not, I don't know how this is going to happen because I think I sort of just I just sort of told you how it's going to happen. It's going to be a shootout, and then one team's going to, you know, kick a field goal when the other team scores a touchdown. Like, that's just kind of how these work. Um, But 
you know, I needed to sort of dig in and see what the case for this could be. And it's not like the Vikings are an awful offensive team the way, say, the Jets are or something like that. And there's a reason this line's two and a half. It's because there's about an equal chance of one thing happening, you know, each thing happening. And so, um, yeah, as much as it pains me to say it, I think the Vikings are the right side in this game. And uh, again, hold your nose and fire. Uh Another one that's hold your nose and fire, but it's in cut for a different way, is that last one o'clock game. And by the way, eight one o'clocks and five uh, four o'clocks, that's outstanding. We did it, folks. We finally talked the NFL into uh, giving us a more balanced day. But that final one o'clock game, Washington and Cleveland, and you're not going to like what I have to say about this. I think Cleveland's probably the right side in this, even at that inflated number, right? Washington got all kinds of credit for that win against Philly. They go on the road to Arizona and they get smacked by Arizona. Cleveland going to be as healthy as they've been all season. They played pretty well, right? Just one Baker Mayfield touchdown, or excuse me, interception uh, away from a, just a comfortable cover, which turns into a backdoor due to obviously the multiple events that we've talked about in the past. Now, do I love laying seven points with the Browns? I do not. And I'm not going to, right? I'm saying it's the right side, but it doesn't mean I have to bet it just because I think it's the right side. That being said, at minus seven, a six-point tease down to one is really attractive. The money line is minus 330. And the tease, you know, any six-point tease price from a single game standpoint is minus 270. And so we're getting value there especially since it's a push if it lands exactly on one, and I don't really think it's going to. I think Washington, in theory, could backdoor. We could get into ourselves into a position like last week where it was somewhat concerning that Washington was moving the football against the Cardinals. And in a 12, I believe it was, point game, you know, that backdoor was still relatively open. And so I don't really want to lay the seven points. Uh, so I'm not going to, but uh, Cleveland is going to be sort of my key element in the teaser bucket at minus one. Uh, four o'clock games here, and it doesn't get any less stinky, guys. So sorry, but it's true. And it starts off with the Carolina Panthers plus six and a half. Love it. I know love's probably a stretch here, but listen, what's the story? Oh, Christian McCaffrey's out. Uh, you know, the the youngster for the Chargers, he's in. Obviously, we've heard all, all we needed to know about the Chargers medical staff with regards to, you know, to Rod Taylor. And, you know, oh, P Panthers have no chance because McCaffrey's out. It's the same sort of situation as the Barkley deal with the Giants, right? Does McCaffrey make them a better team? Yeah. Does that from a one-game sample size type of situation here where you're getting points? Does that make that much of a difference? I don't really think so. You saw that in the market, right? The Chargers opened seven and a half and immediately Panthers money flew in to get that across the key number of seven. So when you're crossing the key number of seven, to me, that's more relevant than a line moving from six and a half to three and a half, right? That's a three-point line move, the type of thing that we saw last week with the Falcons and the Cowboys. I mean, that one got all the way down to three, so that's more significant. But like, there's three-point line moves, and then there's line moves across seven, line moves across three. Those are the ones you need to pay attention to. And in this case, seven and a half was way too high. You know, and again, nothing changed with regard to McCaffrey's availability. And you know, nothing changed with regards to really the quarterback situation, right? I think we all kind of figured Herbert was going to play, you know, especially once the whole lung situation happened. At six and a half, right? The Chargers are a great underdog 
you know, because they can play defense, they have enough weapons on offense that they can hang in with anybody. And that's why we love them against the Chiefs last week, because we had seen them play the Chiefs tough basically every game in the Mahomes era, right? Like Mahomes had literally never blown them out. So why would he do it last week? And in this case, so now you're going to switch where the Chargers went from nine and a half, like I got 10 at one point, but like essentially eight and a half, nine and a half home underdogs to six and a half point home favorites. That's a 14 point swing. And I realize we're going from the Chiefs to the Panthers, but the Panthers have a functional offense that can score. And listen, defensively, is it going to be a lot easier for the Chargers? Sure. But this is a Panthers team that hasn't given up. It's another 0-2 team that is going to get sort of top focus. And for me, it's sort of a letdown spot here for the Chargers after blowing that game. And there's going to be very few and far between situations where I want to be laying points, especially over six points with the Chargers this season. I like the Panthers here. Again, hold your nose if you think that's the case, but I don't even really think it's that much of a hold your nose type of a play. The next one is because it's betting the New York Jets. And the number right now is at 11 and a half. I think it can go higher. I would welcome the opportunity to see that it goes higher. If it drops, if it goes to 11, 10 and a half, I think you then know that some significant big money is on the Jets, right? Because it's not like everybody's just going to change their mind on the Jets over the next couple of days. So either way, I think Jets are a good bet here at anything higher than 10. 10 and a half, good. 11, 11 and a half, good. But I think we could get 12, even potentially 13. You sort of never know where this is going to steam up on Sunday if everybody just says the Jets are atrocious. I talked about with Sheldon, again, talked about this one because he's like, is this just way too many points? And the answer is yes. And for me, when we're talking about big underdogs, it isn't so much just blindly bet the big underdogs in the NFL. It's is the, does the underdog have a functional quarterback? And listen, I don't necessarily love Sam Darnold. I never really have based on the fact that he's not been very good with regards to ball security. But he is functional. He can make throws. They could, in theory, devise enough of an offensive game plan that he can execute this to stay within 10 points, to stay, you know, to get a backdoor touchdown. We have seen in the first two weeks that they are capable of scoring the last touchdown in the game, which means that the Colts would need to have roughly a 20-point, I mean, I guess technically a 19-point lead under this, under this specific number, but they're going to need a 20-point lead for the bet to be safe at this current number. And that's asking a lot of a Colts team that, you know, hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire from an offensive standpoint, right? One interception at the wrong time from Phil Rivers, you know, I don't necessarily think they lose the game, but one interception makes this very coverable in the end, right? And it's not like the Colts aren't banged up as well, right? Malik Hooker goes down with an Achilles injury, so it's starting to add up on their end as well, and so... Listen, you know, I would take the Colts in a survivor pick here because I think it's just this is the opportunity to use the Colts, a team that is a top 18 team in league against one of the worst teams in the league. But at 11 and a half and anything really over double digits, knowing what we need to get out of the Colts for this to be a safe bet, because we've seen the Jets, you know, it hasn't they haven't backdoored the number because the number wasn't high enough in either case for them to backdoor. And now we have a number that's high enough. And are the Colts that much better than the 49ers? 
No. Are they that much better than the Bills? No. This number is inflated because nobody wants the Jets, and I completely understand that. So we have to hold our nose, bet the Jets here, and go forward. Dallas and Seattle. Seattle right now minus four and a half, even minus five. And on the surface, this looks like a ton of points to be giving up a, you know, to a Dallas offense. Problem is, one, the Dallas defense and just how banged up they are. And then two, the offensive line. And so when you're sort of seeing this in your mind's eye, you go, well, Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, you know, the three wide receivers and all of that kind of thing. And that's certainly going to lend itself to a ton of points. But all it takes is one sack here, a tipped pass there because the offensive line isn't quite getting it done and you have a complete swing on what in theory should be a game that is within a touchdown on either side. So I think this is by and large a stay away because I don't know that I want to be laying the five or the four and a half with the Seahawks. You could, however, talk me into Dallas plus 10 and a half plus 11 on a teaser, right? So I'm going to throw Dallas in the teaser bucket and hope that offense, again, is good enough to keep pace with the Seahawks offense that I think is going to score a ton. And that's not exactly news here. We're looking at a 56 and a half point total. But because I think the Seahawks are probably going to win this game, um, it's, I I should say, even better than probable. Uh, I'm not going to include Dallas plus 180 in the teaser bucket you've obviously got a potential letdown spot really for both teams but especially dallas um it's just this defense is just terrifying russ wilson's obviously terrifying shout out to him being the favorite right now in the mvp race literally in sports books at you know plus 300 um loved it before the season at plus 800 hope everybody got in on that uh sort of no matter what happens i think obviously at this point that's a really good bet um so yeah the only thing for me there is throwing the cowboys in a tease because again you know similar in a way to the jets i think the dallas dallas could be the final scorer uh in this game and that would require seattle to be up 17 points uh to be safe um, actually, well, it would require them to be, you know, 18, 19 points up um, for them to be safe uh, with Dallas getting 10 and a half or ideally 11 for that teaser bucket scenario. Uh, and then we get into, honest to God, my two favorite plays of the entire schedule. And it's, you know, makes me a little bit nauseous just to say that out loud. But I think I'm on the right track here when you're sort of tracking the line movements and we can sort of talk about these almost in conjunction with each other detroit plus six tampa bay excuse me denver plus six um and i say plus six because you can you know there's different sites that still have that available you can still grab detroit plus six on sports interaction for the canadian folk out there denver plus six at minus 115 is still hanging on at pinnacle and so these two games are the two sort of Games where everybody will be on the favorite here. Everybody still loves Tampa Bay. Everybody newly loves Arizona. And I'm in that mix. I will flat out admit it. This Arizona team is, one, fun to watch, and two, just scary to bet against, right? And so we've got 77% of the tickets on Arizona in a game that, you know, the sort of look ahead was three and a half, 
three, you know, very sort of under a field goal, in and around a field goal type of a thing. This thing opens at six and a half, and the sharp money comes in and bangs it right down to six, and now down to five and a half in some of the more sharper books, like Bet365. And so the higher limit books are offering a lower number here on Detroit. And that's kind of all you need to know. Now listen, this game, once it's played on the field, could go a bunch of different ways, right? We certainly don't love what Detroit has shown us this point in the season. They were pretty good through a one half of football in week one. They had a 14 to three lead in week two. Both cases, the, the it just went way to hell in a handbasket. And could I see that happening in this one? Yeah, I could. But at the same time, right, Arizona got out to what was essentially a 20 to nothing lead, I believe, against Washington last week. And the back doors did sort of creep open late in that game. And Washington just wasn't quite good enough to do anything about it. I think the Detroit offense is good enough to do something about it. And if we're getting Kenny Galladay back, I think that makes a world of difference for the Detroit offense. And listen, the market sees that as well because this this total opened at 50 on Sunday and within minutes was shooting up. It is currently 55 and a half. So we've got a list of games here that the total is just completely off the rails high. And I'm not saying it's high as in we need to bet the under. I'm just saying like shootout is the expectation. And if you think the Detroit offense is going to be able to sort of keep up it's another scenario where the market's telling you this one could be close in the end, right? We want the six, ideally, because again, that sort of gives us overtime protection, by and large. So let's make sure that we grab that. But I think there's a world where Detroit wins this game outright. And at plus 210, anything plus 200 or better, this is going in the money line bucket. And again, is this an overreaction from the first two weeks? Probably, but, you know... There's certainly some, you know, something warranting uh, reaction in both cases. It's just it what it's done here, though, has created value on Detroit. And listen, Arizona might win this thing by three touchdowns. I don't think the defense is there just yet to sort of be able to say that, you know, this is going to be a 35 to 14 game. Um, obviously, it doesn't have to be 35, 14 for Arizona to cover, right? It's only a five and a half, six point spread. But again, for me, I think this goes either way. This is one miscue from either side. Uh, is Arizona's defense capable of turning over uh, the Lions offense given, again, with Galladay, it's going to be a completely different, uh, you know, different options out there for Stafford. On the flip side, you know, again, Anything more superfluous than Tampa Bay's win, uh, or I should say their cover against Carolina last week, like, it's incredible, uh, you know, you see it, you see the score, oh, yeah, they won by 14, they covered a big number, all the, all the Tampa Bay people are all about that, but you go a little bit deeper, and just first and foremost, right, you had a, t a run that was broken by Leonard Fournette in that sort of kill the game type scenario, right? Which we see in college football all the time. And then even then, Carolina almost comes all the way back to get the backdoor, you know, re-backdoor, if you will, uh, against the Bucks. And you go into the yards per play, and Carolina was 6.0 yards per play to Tampa's 5.9. 
So this wasn't a 14 point blowout. It was just a situation where Tampa Bay got out early, probably had a pretty good plan early on, a pretty good script, as they say, um, to get out early. And they did. They got out to a what, 21 to nothing lead early on. And from there, Carolina was playing catch up. But even without Christian McCaffrey, by and large, I mean, he had 18 carries, 59 yards. So it's, by the way, like, that's not exactly impressive. So when you factor that into the, you know, Chargers game, factor in, like, they're, you know, they're going to be without a guy who was 3.3 yards per carry last week. You know, I'm not disparaging McCaffrey here, but again, like, that's not incredible. And Mike, by the way, Mike Davis had eight catches for 74 yards. So he's fully capable of doing something like that. But I digress. So you've got this Tampa team that, didn't look all that great in week one, especially against a Saints defense that, listen, we're going to get to the Saints, but didn't look particularly good against the Raiders. And so, you know, was Tampa Bay really, you know, are they really clicking the way that, you know, people sort of think they need to be? And now you're going to, uh, you know, obviously the high elevation with Denver and all of that type of thing. And you've got this market that opened six and is now dipping down to five and a half. And we'll sort of see where it goes, right? Are, are enough tickets here with a ticket count right now that is 82% on Tampa Bay? Is that ticket count going to push this number up? Well, it hasn't yet. Right, it hasn't yet. It's moved it, not the ticket count, but the the line itself has moved down. So this is another one where I think Denver is very live here. And you're saying to yourself, well, they're without their starting quarterback. Well, I'm here to tell you that I don't think their starting quarterback was very good. Drew Locke might end up being very good. We don't really know, right? A lot of this stuff comes down to situation and coaching and all of that kind of thing. But Jeff Driscoll, I don't think, is a downgrade on Drew Locke right this second, right? Maybe potential-wise, right? Drew Locke's got the big arm, all of that kind of thing. But Jeff Driscoll's, he he can run a little bit. And I liked him a lot last year when he was playing with Detroit. And, you know, all things being relative, right? I liked him to cover numbers that, you know, as an underdog. And so when he went out and David Blau came in, we saw what the difference was between a functional backup quarterback and a not-so-functional backup quarterback. And so... I don't think they're losing anything there. I think that they hung in with the Titans, which again, I think the Titans and Tampa Bay, probably from a power ranking standpoint, pretty similar teams. I think they're, you know, very different in the style that they play. But I think this game is really low scoring. Again, the 43 point total sort of indicates that. And so if we're looking at two teams that I'm not sure either team gets to 20 points, if you're going to give me six or even the five and a half, in a game that could very easily be 17-13, either way, um, I will take the points here with Denver, and again, I'll sprinkle the money line with them as well. It's going to be a wild scene in that four o'clock hour with Detroit and Tampa Bay going, and are the Jets even remotely close, and Carolina, another six-point underdog that we're rolling with. So that four o'clock is just going to be potentially a bloodbath, but Again, this is the week where you got to start just firing away and be aggressive and get a little wild because this is the week where people give back all of the money that they want, right? If you're listening to this, you're like, we killed it last week. It was awesome. I was throwing together money line parlays. The teaser thing worked again and all of this type of stuff. This is the week where it's given back because all of these numbers are inflated one way or another, right? By a two-game sample size of what people think. And going along with that, right, Saints and Packers here. 
This mother of all buy low, sell high spots, right? People loving the Packers. Like, look at this team. Aaron Rodgers slinging it. He's doing his thing, da 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 Well, we've got a Packers team that took advantage of essentially a fresh, a new Vikings defense that doesn't have it figured out, right? Talked about it, even though I like them this week. And I can't believe I even say that as a sentence. Even though I like the Vikings this week, blah. Uh, you know, I realize that their defense is bad. The Lions, even though I like them this week, I realize that their defense, especially while you know relatively unhealthy, is bad. Uh, what if Devontae Adams doesn't play, right? Like I realize maybe this line is dropped a little bit because Michael Thomas isn't in the lineup or potentially might not be in the lineup. But as it was, you know, for all the Drew Brees noodle arm talk, you know, by the way, that was the case last year. Drew Brees couldn't throw deep last year. He had to like do a three-step run-up you know, like longest throwing competition just to get the ball in any kind of a distance. Like that's not what the Saints offense does. And, you know, we've tried there under a couple of different times here and <laughs> different ways it's gone awry. But, you know, and again, the thing I'm worried about really is the Saints defense. But from an offensive standpoint, like they're going to do what they do. And they did it to the tune of seven point, I believe it was four yards per play against the Raiders. Now, maybe the Packers' defense is much better than the Raiders' defense. I don't necessarily know that that's true, right? Packers gave up a ton of points and a 7.5 yards per play to the Vikings in Week 1. Um, obviously, a couple of touchdowns to the Lions early this past week. So, you know, maybe, but I think this is the best defense in theory, that the Packers have played. And when we're talking about a minus three here on a line that was minus four even just last week and higher than that the week before, and we all went into the season saying, like, there's going to be some regression for the Packers here, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know that a win against the Vikings and a win against the Lions really changes that, right? Like, what has changed? Like, they're doing the same stuff that they've always done. For me here, this is such a bounce back spot for the Saints at minus three. I've already got Packers plus four. So I'm looking to get Saints minus three at even money and come over the top with the Saints so that I'm still a winner, even if it lands on three. That's why we grab the, the prices early on in the week, right? Same sort of thing with that Tennessee game. We grabbed minus two and a half. I think we'll be able to grab plus three. We come over the top on that so that if it lands even on plus three, right, we are a winner. So it's a, it's essentially we're creating synthetic point spreads like uh, Minnesota plus three and a half, right? Because again, if we win on plus three, it's essentially a three and a half. And if we win here on three, it's essentially Saints minus two and a half. So that's why we grab those numbers earlier on in the week, even if we're not necessarily sold on those teams, uh, you know, being the play, in, even at a decent value, right? So obviously Green Bay plus four is some decent value, and I don't think you're going to see that number anymore. I just like the Saints on this side. Finally, the Monday night game. Um, listen, we can talk about this again on Monday, of course. So I'm not going to go super deep into it because we're going to get you on your way here. But doesn't the fact that this is three and a half kind of tell you all you need to know about this spread? So I'll just sort of leave it there, right? The fact that they're willing, the, the books are willing to give Patrick Mahomes three and a half points, to me, tells you what you're supposed to do in this game. So it won't be a contest play. It won't be anything like that. And we'll talk more about that on Monday. But... I'll just leave you with that if you're sort of thinking of throwing some wacky parlays or something like that together. Um, just be very careful with that Monday night game. We'll talk about that more on Monday. Um, and then 
Sunday, Circa contest, you know, talk about all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Ashish Barty, if you remember him from uh, much earlier on in the uh, podcast history, back from when we thought we were going to get a college basketball uh, tournament schedule, uh, March Madness, all of that kind of stuff. He was on a handful of times. Friend of the podcast, he's going to submit our survivor pick this week. We'll see what he likes from a survivor standpoint. Uh, And then, of course, I'll talk about the Circa Million Contest, what my five big plays are. Um, who the most popular plays are and all of that kind of stuff going to be a fun one as usual on Sunday that's always uh, by and large available around 1130 Um, so we'll see what we uh, can come up with there teaser bucket money line pocket parlay bucket all of that so hold your nose weekend I'm fired up for it and so uh, we'll see how it goes have a great weekend, everybody. Follow me at Authentic on Twitter for college football plays, in-game bets, and general sarcasm about these teams we bet on. Until Sunday, I'll see you at the window. <laughs>